remember when we were coming over here, we were crossing the highway on uh, how we forget. Woodside Road? Is it Woodside Road where Denny's is at? Right off the highway? We're going across the highway, and I was reminded one time. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I work for Oral Wheat Bread Company, and I deliver a restaurant. And I seen Denny's there, and I was reminded one time when I was delivering bread there. And I'm going inside the place, and I went through the front door, and I'm just, you know, just happy-go-lucky doing my thing. So anyway, I go through the door, and I'm delivering the bread. And I walk behind in the, in the back room, and this is at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I'm just doing my thing, and all of a sudden the back door busts open. And the SWAT team runs in. And they have like, it looks like machine guns. And we're all running inside. I'm like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. You know? And they're just like running through. And apparently there was some lady in there who threatened the waitress. And she said she had a gun. And the waitress came back there at the same time. And she's like this. You know, and they're asking her what table she's at. You know, and she's pointing. Uh, you know, she was like just scared. Um, I mean, if you could just see her face. But apparently it was a toy gun. And they put them on the ground and everything and had their guns pulled out and everything. And I'm just thinking, wow. I tell that story because, you know, we can go through life like that without realizing the things that are going, around, that are going on around us. I mean, she could have had a real gun with real bullets. And I walked right through there. But fortunately, it wasn't a real gun. You know, Steve read this passage this morning, and Jesus was uh, addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus was bothered because they couldn't discern the times. They couldn't see what was going on before their eyes. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. You know, we live in a time where the church is being pulled in many different directions. We're constantly, constantly being introduced to new methods on how to do church. And in some ways, the church is being redefined before us. You know, for some of us here, it's very evident. We can see what's happening. We can discern. But for others, it goes unnoticed. And because of that, we can drift away from where God wants us to be. But you know, God doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. You know, all throughout history, God has warned His people and give them, given them direction on how to live their life. Very clear direction. When the Israelite people were going to go to, into the land, he says there's going to be a time when you have an abundance of fruit, place, land to live. And he says, don't forget your God. Don't say by my hands... I have done this, and I don't need God. You know, it's no different today. God gives us warnings throughout Scripture. 
for us to listen to and be aware of our surroundings. With that being said, follow along with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul says this in his letter to Timothy. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to have you as a God and a Savior. What a blessing it is to have continuous grace that we can stand in. It's a blessing to have the Holy Spirit in our hearts to give us assurance. And Lord, it's a blessing that uh, you care enough about us to fellowship with us and converse with us and continue to guide us. Lord, I pray now that our hearts would be open. I pray that you would speak to every one of us. Lord, may the focus be on your word, on your truth, on your principles. Lord, may it not be my opinion or others' opinions, but uh, your Holy Spirit speaking to every one of us. I thank you for this time, give you the praise and glory, and pray now that you would lead us at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, just, uh, just a little background. Most of us probably know if we've done any study, uh, any studies in, in the Bible with uh, First or Second Timothy or Titus. We know that these letters are written by Paul to Timothy. And Paul's writing these letters to encourage Timothy, to strengthen him. Timothy was up against uh, some opposition, false teachers, uh, people within the body, people out of the body. And Paul was really, uh, Timothy was really struggling. And Paul wanted to encourage him. And Paul wanted him to stir up his gift. And Paul addressed various, uh, various methods that these false teachers were using. And so that's kind of the context of the letter. In the passage we're going to look at this morning, it doesn't specifically name false teachers. We could look at it as just Paul talking about people within the body. But either way, when we learn things are, are, are within the body, we're learning them from something, something we do. It's coming from someone. So there's false teachers involved. However, it is talking about false teachers. But I just want to make that clear as we go through it. So, that's the background. That's what's on Paul's heart. Okay, the Word of God. That's what's on my heart. That's what hopefully is on your heart. Okay, so as we look at this, the first thing Paul says in verse 1 is this. 
He says, but know this, that peerless times will come. He says, in the latter days, peerless times will come. Now, he could have just said, in the latter days, peerless times will come. But he didn't. He said, but know this. He said, there's something here that you need to know, Timothy. I want you to take special notice to this. Now, he also says, latter days. Now, many times when we... When we uh, see latter days or in the future or things like that, we kind of can put them in the future, you know, down the road. Well, this here latter days is not talking about future times. It's talking about seasons, seasons of times. So it could happen now, it could happen again and again over and over through time. We know that in Hebrews that it says that... Uh, through history, God spoke through to the people through his four, through the forefathers. He spoke through the prophets. Then it says, in the latter days or times, he speaks to us how? Through Jesus Christ. Okay? So, latter times here is making reference from the time Jesus started his ministry to the return of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, that's the context. That's what we're talking about here. The other thing he says here is this. He tells Timothy there's going to be difficult times. He tells Timothy the time is now. And the other thing he says is they will come. Okay? This is a prophecy from Paul. He's saying they will come. So there's not a question there. Is it going to come? Is it going to happen? It's going to happen. The question is, do we know when it's going to happen, or can we see it happening? Well, what does Paul want Timothy to know? He says, peerless times will come, our difficult times. He's not talking about famines. He's not talking about sicknesses. He's talking about the condition of mankind. He's talking about the people within the body of Christ. He's talking about a spiritual decline within our church. See, Paul's describing in this passage the actions and choices of unbelievers. Now, look at verse 7. In verse 7, he says this, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, and then in verse 8, Paul says, it's not verse 8. <laughs> I lost my space here. Anyway, he says that they're men of corrupt minds and they're disapproved concerning the faith. They're unbelievers. Okay? Paul is giving us a description of unbelievers. Now, I think it's important for us to answer this question right here up front. Well, if Paul's addressing unbelievers, how does this scripture apply to you and I? See, these men were teaching, living, and doing things that were counterproductive in the body of Christ. See, and Paul's concerned for their influence or the influence that these men are going to have on the body. So these things Paul's describing 
are a warning for who? For you and I. In verse 13, he says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay? We need to keep that in mind. Paul is definitely making it clear that deception is coming. He's making it very clear there's going to be a time when this is going to happen. So what's the first warning? In verse 2, it says this, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, in the context of the unsaved, and I think that, that most of us here, we're comfortable with that, with what he's saying. I mean, I, I, I can see that happening with the unsaved, all these characteristics, prideful, blasphemous, boasters, and all these things. But see, Paul's talking about a time when men will claim the name of Jesus. They'll talk like they know Jesus. They'll hang out where Jesus' followers hang out, but they don't know God. And so Paul gives Timothy this list, and he says, Timothy, here's the characteristics of these men. They're lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, blasphemers. And the list goes on. And in verse 5 he says, they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, we could focus on every one of these individual sins in this passage. But I think it's much more beneficial for all of us this morning if we take the principles that Paul is trying to give Timothy here and apply them to our life. Now, one of the sins that is repeated throughout this passage is the sin of misdirected love. He says, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. You know, Jesus Christ showed us the greatest act of love. He put our interest first before His own. He sacrificed His life for ours. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was whipped. And He was crucified for us that we may have life. That's the greatest act of love. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, and strength. What He's saying is, with all who we are, we should love God. Heart, 
strength, soul, mind. But we see here in this passage that Paul says that these men will be lovers of themselves. Exalting themselves. Thinking more highly of themselves. Putting their interests first before others. See, we live in a time where the world encourages us to love ourselves. James Montgomery Boyce writes in his book, Here We Stand, he says this, Preoccupation with self is the chief sin of the modern world. If we go to the grocery store and look at the magazine rack, what do we see? Magazines with titles like Glamour, Vanity, Vogue, Self, all promoting me, Self. There's a rise in cosmetic surgery. You know, in the valley where we come from, the housing industry is just was booming in the last five years. And the houses are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know when you drive into a country road and you can see a huge house and you think, oh wow, look at that. Now that is a big house. Well, in, where we live, they're building big, 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 big. Every house is big. A friend of ours bought one of these big houses. And uh, we offered to help them move. Well, Beth tagged along. I didn't ask if I could tell this story. Hope she doesn't mind. Do not repeat this story. <laughs> I asked her if I could tell another story, and she said no. If she even knows I mentioned her name up here, I'm in trouble. So anyway, we help these people move. And I don't know how many square feet it is. It's probably around 4,000 square feet. When we lived in Redwood City, our house was 950. We moved to Stockton, and it was 16.5. And we were thinking, yeah, you know, this is comfortable. Well, these are about 4,000 square feet. And it has a gated entrance, and everything is new. It's like, you know, it's like, wow. But on the way home, Beth said, Dad, why can't we get a house with a gated entrance? Why can't we get a house with our own bedrooms? Why can't we get a house that has upstairs? The point being is that it will influence us. It will influence us. But why are they getting bigger? Because people love themselves. We want to be pampered. We want to be comfortable. We like ourselves. You know, another way we could say 
what Paul is trying to tell Timothy about the time that will come is this. When men will put their own personal desires, their own personal priorities and pleasures before the things of God. That's the warning Paul is giving Timothy. I want to share a story with you. Whoops. The church where I'm at, the pastor asked me if I wanted to go to a prayer retreat with him. I said, sure. At least I was gung-ho when he said it. So anyway, went to work, asked for the time off. The prayer retreat was only two days. And so I was able to get the time off. This was like three weeks ago. So I'm getting all packed up, you know, and, you know, usually whenever I go anywhere, the kids are all there, you know, saying bye to dad. They're actually happy to see me go. It's not that they're trying to be nice. You know, where dad goes, freedom! So anyway, Jake was out there, and, and, uh, and I'm thinking, now here's my mindset. I don't know how many retreats you, you've, you've been on or experienced, but here's my mindset as I'm going to go to this retreat, prayer retreat. Games? Fun? Uh, Zipline? You know, all these things are going through my mind. And I'm thinking, oh, I should have brought some dominoes. Or, or I should have brought some cards. And so, and I'm saying this out loud, and Jake says, Dad, you want me to get you some cards? I know where some are. And I said, okay, go get some, son. I'm in the car, right? The car started. He runs in the house and runs out, hands me this deck, and it says, Jackson Rancherio Casino. <laughs> so I thought, ah, who, take it with me, it'll be fine, you know. But anyway, so anyway, that was my mindset. But I tell you what, there was about 13 pastors from throughout the valley. And I sat there and I thought, I mean, this is what's going through my mind. What am I doing here? And we get there, and their heads are down in this big cabin, and we're all in the same place, in the same room. And we have all this luggage, you know, and we're like, you know, walking up, and, and they're all praying. It's like, okay, so what do we do? You know, we're talking loud, and then you, oh, they're praying. So we stand there, and we say, well, wait till they're done. So we waited about five, ten minutes, and they didn't finish. And someone happened to lean their head up, and we thought they were done. They weren't. So we walked in, and they're all heads are down, and we have all this luggage, making all this noise, and they keep praying. Go inside. We just grab a couple chairs and leave our things there. But anyway, why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story because they shared some things in there. They shared some things that stood out in my mind. One of the things they shared, and I'm just sharing it because it's in the context with the other one, but one of the things they shared with is an attack on their wives. How the body of Christ would attack the wives of the pastor. That was one. And it was sad to hear the things they would say coming from the body of Christ. You know, I just want to encourage you guys to lift your pastor up and, your, and his wife. If you knew the time and energy, and the things they do for you. For you. 
But the other concern that was shared many times. How can we get the body involved? How can we get the body committed? And you hear story after story of ways and they tried to encourage the people to get involved. And be committed to the songs that they sing about. About Jesus. See, that's exactly what Timothy or Paul is trying to tell Timothy. See, now in the passage it's talking about the unsaved. But what's the principle? What's the principle Paul's trying to teach? He says, know this, that the time will come when men will be lovers of themselves. See, Paul's trying to protect the church from the influence of these types of behavior and teachings. And that's the warning for you and I. In verse 5, Paul calls this a form of godliness. You know, the world mocks the church. It's sad. Because there's a lot of people within the body of Christ who have a form of godliness. They've been influenced into believing that they do not have to submit to the will of God. They allow our own personal desires and pleasures to dictate their life. Oh, we make excuses. We want to justify ourselves. You know, coming to church is not enough. This is not the church. The church is a large group of people who believe in Jesus Christ. That's the church. This is a building where some of us meet here once a week. To worship corporately, learn corporately together. But it's not the church. You know, we're all given seven days a week. 24 hours in a day. 60 minutes in an hour. None of us have been shortchanged and only given 20. And God has given us the freedom to choose how we spend that time. See, some of us can sit there, as Paul says, prideful, and think, well, you don't know my schedule. 
or you don't know the things that I have to do. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about God needs to be first in your life. You know what? My job gets in my way. Because I have to go to sleep so I won't be tired to go to work. It's not church that gets in my way. It's not the things of this world that should get in my way. We get it backwards sometimes. Paul says, know this, in the latter days, men will be lovers of themselves. Paul also mentions pleasures. Men will love the pleasures of this world rather than God. You know, this is... These are tough. Because the world has so much to offer. It's filled with so much entertainment. You have kids' sports. You have adult sports. Movie theaters. Books. Computers. Video games. Now, don't get me wrong, because I'm not saying that we cannot be involved in sports, we cannot play video games, we cannot go to the movies. That's not the point. As a matter of fact, Kelly and the kids and I had the opportunity to play one of these games, video games last night. I guess it's a new game called... Um, we? Why? Why? Have you guys heard of why? We? We, why, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All I know is we played why. <laughs> no, we played we? Okay. Uh, and it was fun. We had a great time. I mean, the host kind of, you know, kind of blocked the vision a little bit and didn't tell us the whole, you know, scoop on the game. But, but it was fun. But, but the point is, is, is not we can't do these things. The point is they shouldn't satisfy the desires in our heart. Let's look at the next warning. The next warning is in verses 7 and 8. It says this, Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. Now, again, let's be reminded, who's Paul talking about? Because see, we know there are many people who resist the truth, who deny the truth, that have nothing to do with church or God. And Paul's not talking about that group. Now, I made mention before, it says that these men that Paul's talking about have a form of godliness. See, these are the men and women in the church that are claiming the name of Jesus. 
And this is also important because Paul's warning Timothy that not everyone who claims the name of Jesus is a child of God. Now, we know they're not believers because of what it says in verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, they're sitting under the teaching of probably Timothy and other teachers. They're, they're listening. They're singing the songs. They're shouting out the name of Jesus. But they resist the truth. Now, if we don't understand the significance of truth, and what that encompasses, it's very, very difficult to understand the importance, the urgency for Timothy as well as us in this passage. Jesus said, I came to bear witness of the truth. He said, my word is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Those who resist the truth resist the foundation of everything the church stands on, and that's Jesus Christ. And Paul knows this. Paul knows the time is coming when the men, our men, or these men, will resist the truth. Now I want to read you some things and this is not new. Maybe approximately within the last 20 years. But it's moving fast. And it's happening right before our eyes. There's a movement called the Emerging Church. Some of you have probably heard about it. I want to read you some things for us to get an idea of their philosophy and how they think. Here's what it says. First of all, I want to read you something about postmodernism. It says this. Postmodernism is an extreme reaction to scientific certainty that answers the question, is it true? With the retort, who cares? Postmodernism does not deny the possibility of objective reality, but regards it as essentially unimportant. Truth is valid only so far as it directly influences day-to-day -day experiences. It is perfectly possible to accept the historical accuracy of the gospel and to recognize the logical consistency of Christian philosophy without acknowledging that any personal response is required. Postmodernism sees all opinion as equally valid. And postmodernists tend to equate this with all opinion being equally true. 
We are emerging from an error. This is taken from. Now, where's it taken from? <laughs> I wrote the initials and I forgot the name of it. Uh, ask me later. I'm quoting pieces that I've uh, put together off the internet. Some of them were from the Baptist Press. Others were from, oh, here it is, Christian Medical Fellowship. Uh, that's where some of these quotes are coming from. It says, this is nothing new, and it says, we are emerging from an era in which our culture pinned all its hope on rationalism. In those days, Christians needed to emphasize that the gospel was and is a matter of credible premise combined with rational thought. We are coming into an age where our culture has rebelled against the rational so thoroughly that the nature of truth itself has been questioned. From the book, Being Conversant with the Emerging Church, if you try to say that this church is a movement, they don't like that. They don't want the name movement. And they say, well, we're more of conversant. So if you try to define them, they don't want to be defined, which makes it, which is understandable since they don't believe in absolute truth. Well, they don't want a definition for themselves either. But there's an author, his name's D.A. Carson. He defines the emerging church movement as a group of people who believe the church must use new modes of expressing the gospel as Western culture adopts a postmodern mindset. Okay? We need to change our message so the postmodern world can understand it and it can accommodate them. At the heart of the movement lies the conviction that changes in the culture signal that a new church is emerging. He says, Christian leaders must therefore adapt to this emerging church. Those who fail to do so are blind to the culture that hides the gospel behind forms of thought and modes of expression that no longer communicate with this new generation. He says, the author, the movement arose as a protest against the institutional church, modernism, and seeker-sensitive churches. Now, there's a man by the name of Bill McLaren. You know, a lot of people don't like to mention names, but I just do what Jesus and Paul did. I mean, Paul mentioned names all the time. Alexander caused me great harm. What do you do? You know, he'll tell you. Anyway, this guy's name, oh, it's Brian McLennan, I'm sorry. And uh, it's said in Time Magazine, Time Magazine that he's one of the most, or one of the top 25 most influential evangelicals of our time. Oh, really? Well, thank you, Time Magazine. And here's what he says. He says, those of us in the West, now get this. He says, those of us in the West realize there were a lot of bad consequences of European and American people trying to tell everybody else how things are. He said, we feel there's got to be a lot more humility and a lot more gentleness and that the gospel made credible not by argue, 
Not that, not how we argue and make truth claims, but it's made credible by the love and good deeds that flow from our life and our community. And last, this is by Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Church. He says this, accepting the postmodern insistence of, uh, he's talking about uh, Brian McLaren. He says that he argues that Christianity must develop a new way of describing, defining, and defending the gospel. He says, a unifying theory of universal meaning is to be replaced by a far more humble understanding of truth that accepts pluralism as a given and holds all truth, truth claims under suspicion. Postmodernism insists that truth claims must be presented in a humble form without claim of universal validity, ob objectivity, or absolute. Well, with all that being said, what did I say? Basically, they take the belief that the postmodernism movement or the philosophy in the mind of the contemporary people today don't believe in absolutes. And they want to question everything. And so their thought is, why focus on absolutes? Why be, why be hostile? Why be arrogant? And just accept everybody's opinions. Accept everybody's story. And never be dogmatic. See, when asked about questions, just for a simple one, because it makes the principle very clear, about homosexuality, McLaren didn't want to answer. He said, why should I answer about something that might cause someone to get upset? Paul says there's going to be a time where men will resist the truth. I took this off the home page of John MacArthur's website for the Shepherds Conference that's coming up. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Shepherds Conference. Are they, in general? The Shepherds Conference, well, let me read it to you. And I want to read you this because we're talking about truth. Why is all this important? This is on his homepage just addressing the shepherds. He says this, Dear shepherds, it is our common commitment to the truth that underscores the reason we gather this year. It is also the reason we invite faithful and gifted servants of the Lord to proclaim the word of truth to us. This year we are pleased to have, and he names some people, and then he says, and they refresh our hearts to the ministry of the Word in a day when even the idea of truth is unpopular. What a joy it will be to hear the truth declared clearly without hesitation. It would be an understatement to merely say that the truth is important. The truth of the Gospel is most important. It is the central foundation for everything. Our confidence in proclaiming it is not based on anything of ourselves. Instead, it is founded in the fact that God Himself has revealed the truth 
to us. Through His Son and through His Word. Our fellowship then comes from a shared commitment to that which we neither temporal, superficial, or subjective, namely, the truth. It says, my hope is that you will be able to join us in March as we celebrate the truth together. Love in truth. John MacArthur. Wow. What is on his mind? Truth. Did you get that? I thought, wow. We think alike. I think just like him. You know, it's interesting when you can do that. When you find other men or other people that think just the same way you think. Why is that? That's the way it should be with all of us. See, what I'm sharing with you this morning should be, yeah, I see that. I can see that happening. We need people to rise up and, and, and address that. If we don't see it, it should be a red flag for us. They're denying the truth. That's the result of their actions. They deny the power of God. You know, many people cry out to God, pray to God, and they wonder why He doesn't answer. Most of the time when people cry out to God, it's because they want something. They want a quick fix. Maybe there's an illness. They want a healing. And when that doesn't happen, they wonder, why doesn't God answer me? See, they don't look to themselves. They look to God. I've been asked that question so many times. I prayed to God and how come... Da -da -da -da? You know the number one selling book in America is the Bible. Number two doesn't even come close. It's estimated that there's over six billion copies of the Bible sold. Number two are quotations from Mayo Say Tung. And it only sold 900, well I shouldn't say only, it sold 900 million. That's number two. 900 million. This guy gives us some statistics from bookseller World Internet. And he says that most Americans claim to have a Bible. The truth. He says, only half of all Americans can name one gospel. He says, 37% can name all four. He says, 42% can name Jesus as the speaker on the Sermon on the Mount. And then he writes this in here, 75% that God helps those, believe that God helps those who help themselves. And here's what he writes. He says, 
But most Americans are very ignorant when it comes to knowing what the Bible says. He says such an incredible ignorance of what the Bible says can only mean one thing. That nobody's reading the best-selling book of all time. He says, while Americans have a form of godliness, they are, for the most part, denying the power of God. Paul says, know this, that in the latter days, men will deny the power of God. You know, when we had the 911 situation, when tragedy struck, people were crying out to God, praying in public, but it, was, it wasn't long before everyone kind of went back to their old ways. And so Paul's trying to point out here that there's going to be a form of godliness, but denying the power. Now back to the context. The context here in the passage is men who don't know God. See, in 1 Timothy 2.4 it says that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of God. And here in verse 7, it says, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, these men hindered the power of God for their salvation. But what's the principle that Paul is trying to teach Timothy? Here it is. He says this. The time will come when men and women will love themselves and the pleasures of this world. They will resist the truth and deny the power of God. That's the warning for you and I. And that's what Paul calls godliness. A form of godliness. We need to discern the times. I think sometimes we as Christians come to the, or approach the Christian life like a buffet. And we pick and choose whatever soothes our appetite. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are we living for the kingdom of God? See, you know, this message is not just for you. It's for me also. You know, as I was studying this passage, God really spoke to my heart. You know, I was preparing during my, my three-week preparation. I also have other things going in my life. Preparing for Sunday school teaching at Juvenile Hall, church on Sunday, church on Sunday night, church on Wednesday, Bible studies, men's groups, things with my kids. And there was a Wednesday night at church. And I go to the rescue mission with the church on Tuesdays because my days off are Wednesday. 
And Thursday night, I was thinking, you know what? Just sharing with you what's going through my mind. Thursday night, I want to rest. I, I, I just This is before I went to church Wednesday. I'm thinking, Thursday, I just want to rest. I'm tired. Sometimes I watch... The Kings game on basketball, uh, the basketball game, and I knew the Kings were playing. And I thought, you know what? Rest, relax, the one thing I want to do. And I get to church. Now remember, all these things are going through my mind. And there's a man in our church named Frank. And I was getting ready to leave, and I walked up to him. Frank, how you doing? See you later. And he says, You going to the rescue mission tomorrow? I said, well, no, uh, no I, I plan on going to bed early. You know, I have to get up. I can use that, right? I have to get up early. Two o'clock in the morning, that's the time I get up. Rescue mission doesn't finish till 8.30. I said, you know, I have to, you know, get up early. He goes, oh, it's over at 8. And at the same time, another guy that's kind of over, says, Dave, you going to the rescue mission tomorrow? Oh. I said, I don't know, Maybe. <laughs> You know, I had to make a choice. The truth of the matter is, I knew there was going to be a, a, a room filled with 50 men. And I knew that if I went, the pastor would say, go ahead and share. And these men needed to hear about Jesus Christ. And all these things are going through my mind. And one time I was talking to Steve on the phone. And I said, you know, the pastor asked me if I wanted to preach. And I don't know. And I said, you know, I don't forgot what I asked him. But I remember what he told me. He said, you know what? If God opens the door for you to preach, by all means, preach it, brother. And I'll never forget that. And so the choice was there for me. How could I sit in front of the TV when there were men who needed to hear about the love of Christ? What's your choice this morning? Do we resist the principles of God that we've heard this morning? We need to discern the times. Let us not fall into the deception that Paul is worrying us about. Paul says, know this. The time will come when men will be lovers of themselves. See, we don't want to be known by the world as a church that has a form of godliness. 
We want to be known as a church that has the power of God working through them. The time has come for God's children to rise up and live the life that we're called to. Jesus said, Blessed are those who thirst and hunger to do what is right. They shall be filled. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful for Your Word. We're grateful for Your love, Your patience, Your kindness. Lord, You want us to be Your servants. Lord, help us to be those vessels of righteousness. Help us to be the instruments that You can use to help for Your glory. Lord, use our mouths. Use our bodies. Use our time. Lord, I pray that if any of us here are struggling just with the idea that maybe we have been deceived in living our life for ourselves, that You would help all of us, Father. It's not easy. Help us all to do what's right before Your eyes. Lord, we pray that as we live our life, that uh, we would continue to focus on You and not give in to the struggles of this world. Lord, we thank You. We love You. We praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.